Hey guys! So before we jump straight into the topic for today, I actually wanted to clarify a few things first. My podcast last week, The Race Against HIV, was actually the final project for a class of mine. But so many people have requested more that I decided to actually go and start my own show. (laughs) So welcome to the first official episode of Project Simplify with me, your host, Neha. And after this episode, you guys can expect me to be uploading them weekly every Friday. Now, this show is where I'll be taking dense, complex, politicized topics and explain them in under 10 minutes. So today's episode is the war on drugs, and this has actually been a highly requested topic. Alright, the war on drugs led to mass incarceration, which is, actually, the real problem here, and it still persists today. Highly recommend you guys check out the documentary 13th on Netflix. And if you're looking for a few books, then The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander is an amazing read. Now before I get into the history of this, I want to lay out some statistics here just to emphasize how important and prevalent of an issue this is. Alright, first, in 2010, one in three black men had a felony record. Next, Over 20% of our population, which is 70 million Americans, who are poor and usually people of color, have a record. And lastly, the U.S. has 2.3 million people in prison, and we have 4.5 million in probation or on parole. Now put differently, this means that the United States is home to about 5% of the world's population, but holds over 20% of the world's prisoners. Alright, now that those statistics are out of the way, let's get started with a little bit of background history. So technically, the term the war on drugs was first coined by Nixon in 1971, and since then, our prison population has increased by over 700%. Now if you know your timelines a bit, then you may realize that this follows suspiciously close on the heels of the civil rights movement. And if you think that there's something suspicious about that, then you are very right. Here's a quote from one of Nixon's top aides, John Ehrlichman, which came out kind of recently. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the blacks with heroin and then criminalizing it heavily, we could disrupt those communities. So if you think that the war on drugs was ever about anything besides race, then you are deeply mistaken. Honestly, it was a turning point in American history. With the war on drugs, African Americans were consciously made out to be the enemy, and Reagan's presidency really makes that come to light. See, Reagan took the whole war on drugs and ran with it by starting his zero-tolerance policy. The zero-tolerance policy started minimum sentences for any kind of drug offense. Basically, what this did was it took power away from judges to make a sentence specific for the individual based on their circumstances. So now minors, people with no previous record, and even non-violent drug offenses were all given a felony conviction if it had anything to do with crack. Now let's delve into the difference between crack and cocaine real quick, which is that there really isn't much of one. While coke is snorted, crack is mostly smoked, which makes the highs shorter, but they hit much faster. However, the DEA estimates that crack rocks are actually made up of 75 to 90% pure cocaine. But, under federal law, 
it'll take 100 times more cocaine to get the same sentence in court. So, let's go ahead and take a wild guess at what group of people is usually associated with crack. Yes, that's right, poor black people. The prison population is overwhelmingly made up of poor people of color for these non-violent drug offenses. The war on drugs was a huge failure in terms of ending drug abuse. But it did succeed in something. It only succeeded in creating police states in many of our communities of color. Now you guys have probably been hearing a ton about police practices like racial profiling, focusing surveillance on poor minority neighborhoods, and consensual no-cause searches as huge problems, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement. So I won't go into much detail about any of those. What I'm here to say is that this may be too narrow of a focus. We really need to be looking at what brought all of this about, and that would be racist drug policies and, of course, institutional racism. The reason this war was ever declared was because the media started to demonize black people on crack and heavily over-exaggerated these crime rates. In the first place, crime rates were only rising because jobs were being outsourced to other third world countries. The jobs I'm talking about here are usually low-skill jobs, which left these segregated communities with little to no employment left and plunged them into economic collapse. Which, by the way, has historically been associated with flares and violence. But instead of providing job opportunities, our government turned to criminalizing them. Black communities have always lacked funding for schools, decent housing, healthcare, drug treatment, and jobs. Yet the U.S. had no problem with pouring nearly $3 trillion into the drug war. You see, these people are going into prison with drug problems and mental health problems, and you know what they're coming out with? the exact same drug problems and mental health problems, because there's little to no rehabilitation in prisons. I'll touch more on this subject in a different podcast, where I'll go in depth on how the prison industrial complex is deeply embedded in our economy, and how many people actually profit off of mass incarceration. But anyways, let's go back to the war on drugs. You see, here's the really important thing about all of this. What matters isn't the time spent in prison, It's the prison label. The effect mass incarceration has had on the black community extends well beyond prison walls. After prison, ex-convicts return to segregated communities, but now they face legalized discrimination as well as social exclusion. We're effectively marginalizing the already marginalized. See, now they can be legally denied some social benefits such as public housing access, welfare benefits, college loans or grants, the right to work in certain places, and they can be required to register with local authorities. And social exclusion? (laughs) It's a generally accepted fact that having a solid family life greatly reduces the probability of being arrested. But once said person is arrested, their entire family has been disrupted. A healthy family, decent employment, and stable housing are all things that have huge impacts on decreasing crime rates. But these are the exact things that are out of reach for many living in these communities. And that's exactly what they return to once they're out of prison as well. So I'm sure you guys are starting to see how the war on drugs and mass incarceration have left our society with incredibly complex problems.
But the scariest part through all of this is that research shows that these patterns have a vicious intergenerational cycle. Studies have even shown that judges are more likely to give harsher sentences to juveniles from disadvantaged communities compared to stable ones. This only continues the cycle of people moving from disadvantaged neighborhoods to prison, then back to the same neighborhood, only making it spiral deeper and deeper into marginalization. What we need to do is reform our policies and take out minimum sentences. Mass incarceration is what started this mess. And simply not incarcerating as many people would actually make a huge difference in these communities. Well, that wraps up today's episode on Project Simplify. If you guys have any topics you want to request, feel free to DM me on Instagram. And as always, thanks for listening.